I'm Amanda Wagner. And I'm Liz Pittman. And this is the Amanda Wagner Podcast. This podcast is the place for born leaders who are hungry to do something big, something that matters, and who are tired of waiting for an invitation to change the world. On this podcast, we talk about the challenges of bravery, living thoughtfully and strategically, and we share our experiences as women with impatient ambition. The world has enough fluff. This is your invitation to bring your worth to the world and do something that matters. In this episode, we talk about people-pleasing in business and in life. We recount our most epic people-pleasing moments, including that time I made a pie for my friend when I was 13 and I thought she was mad at me. And we share a few ways that we have tried to reduce the amount of people-pleasing we do. And in WWAWD, we answer Alyssa's question about preparing yourself to search for a new job during the pandemic. I'm Amanda Wagner and I'm a people pleaser. If you're like me, you probably find yourself saying yes to everything, readjusting your schedule or your life for someone else, and spend a lot of time and energy trying to impress others, regardless of if it's someone you know and respect, or if you didn't get something that you wanted at a restaurant or coffee shop and decide not to send it back. I don't have an answer to fix people pleasing. And if you subscribe to my newsletter, you'll know that I'm not building a platform to tell you how to do something. And I'm not going to be the person with another simple trick to magically cure you of your personality traits that make life interesting and challenging. Rather, I'm here to say, I get it, I hear you, and I get you. In kindergarten, there's this adorable slash just too real memory that my mom often shares with people where she came to pick me up from kindergarten and my teacher had to say to her, I don't know who felt worse today, me or Amanda, because Amanda was somehow acting out, which I know is probably hard to believe, but in some way I was misbehaving and I had to be sent upstairs, which was basically the timeout and I wept and I felt awful because I disappointed my teacher. And so when my teacher said to my mom, Amanda felt terrible, but I felt terrible because I had to tell this this student, this little five-year-old girl that she did something wrong, it really hit both of us. And so I have so many memories of people pleasing from an early age. For me, my biggest fear, you've heard me say it over and over again, is getting in trouble or disappointing someone. Even when I was a teacher, I would say, I don't need to get mad at my students. I just need to be disappointed in them because if they're anything like me, they'll feel awful for what they did. And when someone's mad, it's easy to write them off as irrational, but disappointing someone, that hurts in the guts. I remember in junior high, my friend Shireo was annoyed at me for some reason, even though the fight is completely unmemorable and more than likely was probably just junior high tomfoolery. I vividly remember at the age of 13, baking her a pie and taking it over to her house to apologize. I just, I can't, I just picture little Amanda. Do you remember <laughs> what kind of pie it was? I believe it was an apple pie, but I, I vividly, I handmade the crust. You are so sweet. Well, thank you. Oh. Does this make you? Does this make you want to like fight with me? So I bring you a pie. I'm trying to come up with a way that I could say like now disappoint me and bring me some pastry. (laughs) 
this is not normal 13 year old behavior. <laughs> no, it is not. I feel disappointment so deeply. And in some ways, this sounds like a cute and sweet story of me like begging for forgiveness. But the other side is that this is the person in me who can't say no. This is the person in me who ruminates and is up at night thinking, what will they say if I do this or say this? My people pleasing has only intensified as I've gotten older. And this idea of ever, wanting everybody to be happy and never wanting to disappoint someone means that I'm pulled in all sorts of different directions. And my energy is going often to other people before it even comes close to me paying attention to myself. Liz, did you bake any pies for anyone? Do you have any memorable people-pleasing moments? I didn't bake any pies. Not that I can recall anyway. I know that I was definitely a people-pleaser when I was younger, and I do still have those tendencies for sure. I'm less of a people-pleaser than I used to be, but I have a terrible memory. So I saw in our notes that you were going to ask me if I had any examples. Yeah. And there's nothing in particular that stands out. And my first inclination was to apologize to you because I was so sorry that I didn't have any examples. So, <laughs> so there's my people pleasing. I'm so sorry to have disappointed you that I don't have anything specific to share with you. So here's um, the magic. I'm not disappointed. Oh, that's such a relief. No, see, that's what's so fascinating to me is that there's this high intense energy of like, they're going to be so disappointed. They're going to be mad. They're going to hate me. And then you find out it's no big deal. And it's like, oh, thank God. What a roller coaster of emotions. Totally. So my, like my biggest thing with people pleasing is that I apologize for things a bajillion times over. I mm -hmm. So I almost just apologized for not having an example to share. Yeah. I, saw, I say sorry a lot. A lot of that's people pleasing. Some of that's maybe because I'm Canadian, but my partner, Mike, will often tell me to stop saying sorry. Okay. Like I will, I will say it so often. He's like, okay, you don't have to say it anymore. Like it's fine. Uh, so I, I, I do that a lot and I will get like one hell of a stomach ache if I think someone's disappointed in me or mad at me. Mm -hmm. And so I, I work really hard to try to avoid that feeling. Of course. So I'm like, it's like a preemptive pleasing. Um, so I really, really, really try to avoid conflict. Mm -hmm. um, so no example for you, but that's how it kind of manifests mm -hmm. in me. There is a, I believe it's a Gmail plugin. We'll link to it in the show notes and it's called Just Not Sorry. And it is an app that can plug in with your email account. And I believe it was created particularly for women who are used to apologizing or undercutting their language. So every time you say, I'm just checking in, they highlight the just. Or every time you say, I'm so sorry, they highlight it. And it really increased my attention to how often I was actually undercutting the message of what I was trying to say, instead of simply saying, I'm following up to know if you want to move forward on this contract. Instead, I would hedge and be like, I just wanted to check in and see if it's okay. And if it's a good time, maybe we could have a call. But if not, no worries, it's fine. It's really helped me like stop some of that behavior, but also get such an intense awareness of how often I do it. And then I'm doing it because heaven forbid, someone doesn't like what I have to say, or they say no. You mentioned at a speaking engagement last year sometime, the eliminating of the jests and the sorries. Yeah. And I do a sweep of all emails that I send before 
because I remember that because it's such a simple thing. And I know it's something that women do much more often is use that kind of language to kind of soften it. I do that hard sweep of all correspondence that I send now because that's an easy fix and I'm really not that sorry. It's just, that's, that's my gut reaction is to use that language. Yeah. That we always have to be apologetic that I'm somehow doing something wrong by following up on something that we agreed on. I'm so glad that stuck with you. Um, You're right, it is, it's a change that is certainly something that people can make pretty quickly, but again, that awareness is, is huge. And I can also notice when I am particularly overwhelmed or burnt out, I slide back into that behavior. It's almost like I'm trying to protect myself from disappointing someone or being told no, that I just assume that they're annoyed with me to begin with and instantly go into my pie making behaviors to make sure that no one's mad at me so I don't feel worse. And I think, and you and I have had this before, technology doesn't necessarily make this very easy, especially in the world we're living in now, where most of the conversations that we are all having are all done virtually. It's so easy to think someone's disappointed in you, where, you know, you've sent me a text and I haven't answered in four hours because I was somewhere and you're starting to think, oh my God, did I say something? Is she mad at me? Is she disappointed? Did we have a conversation earlier that I pissed her off and vice versa? We've both done this. And then it's a quick clarification of like, no, I'm fine, lady. I'm just busy. Yes. (laughs) But it's so easy to get those wires crossed. And it's just like this gut feeling that's ingrained in us to automatically assume the worst. Right. We go to this place of like, oh, they didn't answer for four hours. They must hate me. Surely I said something that offended you. You're right. That's such a a good example of like, this person didn't respond right away. To me, I find even the, the very passive, like double, Liz, I need your expertise. What's it called in Instagram where you like double tap a message and it gives it the heart? Like a comment. Okay. So that in a direct message or even in iMessages where you can hold the button and give an exclamation mark or a heart. I find that so passive that when someone just gives me a thumbs up on a text, I already am like, oh, they don't like me. I did something wrong. Why didn't they send me a response? Yeah, like they're so frustrated with me that I'm not even worth words. (laughs) Exactly. But really, this is about efficiency. And chances are, they're not mad at all. But for some reason, that's where my brain goes. I know Coach Jenny has something to say about this with Hilda. I talk about her all the time. We really need to break our, we don't do guess rule so that, Jenny can perhaps coach me through some of my psyche here. To let something blow over is certainly not my style, right? So when that text happens and I'm like, something's wrong, I'll check in. Hey, Liz, are you mad at me? I ask Robin this all the time when he like doesn't talk to me very much in the morning. He does his own work and I'm like, is everything okay? Are you mad at me? And he often has to say, I'm just being quiet. You are so much more excitable and energetic than I am in the morning. He's like, I'm not mad. I'm just quiet. So with my biggest fear being getting in trouble and nothing worse than somebody being disappointed in me, these tiny little things add up and exhaust me. And this especially shows up for me in business. When somebody asks to be squeezed in or are you available on Friday? I always feel like I'm playing the time and money game. If I say yes, I can make money. If I say no, am I an asshole? 
for not squeezing this person in, I have let my own boundaries slide over and over again and say yes to so much, even when I'm doing something that isn't my strength. So for example, if somebody says, oh, can you do this? I will say yes. And then in my guts be panicked going, but I don't know how to do this and I don't wanna disappoint the person. So for every hour that I'm gonna work, I'm gonna spend three hours doing all the research that I can to become an expert instead of from the beginning saying, actually, that's not my area of expertise. This would be a better person to talk to. I'm always anxious that I'm not doing enough. Where this also shows up in my business is that I feel like I have to get to everything ASAP. So for instance, uh, my emails, I wanna get back in a timely fashion. And right now that just isn't realistic. One of the best emails that I received, I actually forwarded to you, Liz. I had a conversation with somebody, I emailed her a follow-up, and I instantly got a bounce back that says, I answer my emails in the afternoons between three and five o'clock. I did not expect a faster response time than that. And when I sent an email that didn't really need a response, I didn't get one. And I actually didn't feel snubbed because the expectation was there. Three years ago, I dreamed of having a waiting list of clients when I first started my business, as though that would make me a legitimate professional. And now that I actually believe I'm a professional and I am a legitimate, valid entrepreneur, even telling somebody now that I'm booking a few months out feels awful. It feels far less prestigious than I ever thought it would. It feels far less fancy because I feel like I'm disappointing them. Then my rational brain kicks in and I think of examples of other people who have told me they have a waiting list or that we have to schedule a couple months out to work together. And what that really does is make me go, oh, I better get on this quickly or they're going to book up. It makes me go, oh, this person is valuable and takes good care of their time. So, let me get in this program or have this space and time with this person because it really reaffirms that I want to work with them and that means I will wait a few months or whatever it is. Liz, what kind of experiences do you have in your business as far as people pleasing? In the past have been bad for accepting work that's out of scope. So I've determined what I'm going to do and then they come back and say, could you also do this? And I'm like, sure. Um, so that's something that I've done in the past. And I used to be tied to my email a lot. Yeah. Uh, and so the people pleasing of responding right away. Mm -hmm. I still do, like, I'm still pretty quick on email, but I don't feel bad if I close that tab for a day. Yes. And that was a big hurdle to get over was to not feel guilty because I don't have Gmail open and to also not feel bad about putting a out of office on, even if I actually am in the office. Yes. That felt very taboo. It's called a vacation responder, but I'm not on vacation, but I'm using it anyway. Yes. So I always book an extra day. So if I take one day off, if I take a Monday off, I leave my out of office on till the end of the day, Tuesday. I like to book in that buffer time so that I don't have this instant, oh, it's Tuesday morning, I better get back to all these emails immediately. I just need to eliminate that for myself. Yeah, so that's something that I've really worked at is 
feeling unapologetic about having email closed because I just, I want the validation from people who are like, Ooh, a quick response. But also if I'm turning around an email like that, and then they don't respond for 12 hours, how like what a waste of my energy it was to turn that around so quickly. And I've gotten back to the place where I don't have my email on my phone. It's completely off there and I'm not even cheating. I don't even have a tab open in Safari right now. Great. And Glad to hear it. Yes. It's, it's a big step for me, but I also don't want to be the person who responds instantly any time of day. Mm -mm. It can send this message that I'm just here anytime for anything. And my email is mine. My phone is my own. I get to make some of those decisions. So some of the things that I have started to do so that I can move from full full-time people pleaser to recovering people pleaser, maybe part-time, maybe only 10 to 12 hours a week. There are four things that I have started to do. Number one is that I really think about what I want before I'm asked to do something. And for me, that means looking at the month ahead because often I just move everything to one month from now as though I will magically be less full in a month. It never works that way. And I just have month after month of burnout. So it's August, which means that I'm already looking at my September calendar and resisting the urge to tell people, oh, let's book it for September. I'll have time then. So instead of just passing things off to the next month, I'm actually looking at that month in advance and making sure that I'm not putting more in. So for example, one day where I have four strategy calls in one day is too much. I have created a limit of two per day. That's the most that I can do and still be a functioning human and get everything else I need to do done. The second thing that I have done to attempt to become a recovering people pleaser is creating a script for saying no. So I imagine what might I be saying no to? For now, it might be more strategy clients or it might be team training. I've had to practice a one or two liner that says no or not yet. Last week, somebody mentioned that on my Instagram, they said, you don't ask for business enough. And I thought, interesting. I'm, I appreciate that she noticed this. And at the same time, I went, that's because I'm actually not looking for business right now. I know there are people say, who say that you should always be looking for business, but right now I'm at capacity. So my call to action isn't hire me, hire me. It's learn more about me. Let's find some depth. Let's see if we're a great fit. And if the time is right, we'll find a way to work together. My third technique is to give yourself some time and space. My phone is my own. My email and text responses can take time. And if somebody has asked something of me and I'm tempted to overextend, I remind myself that I don't have to answer on the fly. I don't need the quick win to answer something right away. I can take 24 hours or more and sit on the idea first. And finally, I do this with a lot of my clients. It's a peer of mine who came up with the name that I think is brilliant, which is writing a victory log. So keep, I often keep a record of the great things that happen for me in my business, but I am also starting to keep a record of when I say no and nobody dies. I need some proof that I can say no and nothing tragic is going to happen. So I also like to note the responses. 
most people are okay with hearing no. And if they're disappointed, that's okay. It's okay for somebody to be disappointed that I said no or not yet. So my job is to decide how long I'm going to sit with that feeling because I really don't want to be disappointed for that long. I don't want to feel the feelings like I've let someone down. LP, tell me about your level of people pleasing on a scale of one to 10. One being I have nobody to please except myself and 10 being if you're annoyed, I'll bake you a pie and bring it to your house. <laughs> where are you on that scale and where is my pie? I think it really changes depending upon who the person is that I'm trying to please. I used to be a really, really big people pleaser, despite the fact that I have no specific examples to share with you. I probably used to be around a eight. Wow. I would say that I am more like a five okay. now because I really worked at it uh, and I don't or I try not to feel bad about saying no, because I feel like it's something I've really worked at. Um, Yeah, I would say that that's where I am now. There are obviously exceptions to this. There will be days where I'm, you know, whipping up some pastry dough in my kitchen for my apology pie, but uh, (laughs) but for the most part, I think I'm, I'm, I'm back on the lower end of the scale now, which I'm delighted by. I feel like we have inadvertently created a line of pastries (laughs) called apology based people pleasing pastries i love it when you do something wrong we will send someone a pie and say here this is to fix your mistake go tell the person that you're sorry you disappointed them (laughs) for me i'm quite similar to you where i actually i was definitely i mean you're baking a pie when you're 13 you're at the 10 of people pleasing i would say i'm probably around a seven what is keeping me going is this idea that I have talked about in the newsletter as well as on the podcast before. I'm here to play the long game. I am not in this for quick wins and little dopamine hits of feeling like, good job, I did this. I am here for the long haul, which means that I need a better way, a more productive way to deal with my fear that somebody won't like me. And that's something I'm working on. Some of the strategies that I'm using, like I said, that victory log is a big one. I said no to something and nobody died. I didn't go to this meeting that really had nothing to do with me and nobody was upset. That is really living in a a long game way, but also in the way of essentialism, which if you haven't read Greg McEwen's book, Essentialism, it is a fantastic place to go. Robin and I are currently book clubbing it, which is that we each read a chapter and, uh, or sorry, we each read the same chapter and then we talk about it afterwards because I know it's something I'm trying to cultivate. And so having him on board, it makes us both look at how we can live more essentialist lives. I was thinking a a little bit more about the scale and how it changes depending upon who I'm trying to please or who I'm trying to not disappoint or the conflict that I'm trying to avoid. Yeah. My partner and I, we were in Mexico. I don't know. This was like five or six years ago. And we were somewhere, I don't remember the specifics, but there's something about we were going in the water where the reef was and we couldn't wear a certain type of sunscreen was the story they sold us. And some member of authority (laughs) came up to us as we were putting on our regular sunscreen because we were like, oh, this is is a story they sold us so that we will buy this special sunscreen. So Mike and I are over in the corner putting on sunscreen and somebody, I don't, he was some sort of like security guard or something, approaches us and says, what are you doing? And I just 
peaced out. I just left. I left Mike there with all of our stuff, the sunscreen, like, see you later. I'll find you in Mexican jail because like, I was just like, no conflict. I'm out of here. And he has, he has more examples from our past. And usually it's when we're vacationing and there's some sort of language barrier. And I just, I don't want to make anybody mad. I don't want to upset anybody. I don't want to get into trouble. (laughs) I will just leave Mike there and he can deal with the fallout. This is one of his favorite stories to tell in the normal times when we're with a group of people is that I just about put him in Mexican jail over some sunscreen. So that, I, that was pretty high on the scale in that scenario. Uh, I'm delighted to say that I would probably stay by him okay. now. because <laughs> I, I would have just cried. I would have <laughs> just broken down and been like, you're right. I'm sorry. How embarrassing for me. Let me just head back to the kitchen. I'll get you a pastry and this will all be good. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I think that I, my people pleasing is getting better when it's saying no and some of some of like the business stuff like that I'm getting better at but if it's avoiding conflict it's where conflict comes in that I'm higher on the scale for sure. We love rules you and I have this in common. We do we really do I just have like my hand over my heart about how much I love rules right now I know you can't see me but yeah. (laughs) Yeah I feel the same way I'm like there's comfort in rules just give them to me I will follow them I take great pride in being a rule follower. Robin calls me a narc because I used to tell on other kids. That is a story for another time. I would love to know from our audience, can you think of a really proud moment where you pulled back from people pleasing and stood up for yourself and said no? Bonus points if you survived and lived to tell the tale. The more evidence we share of being able to say no and set boundaries and actually take care of our own needs, the more we can normalize that we aren't being assholes by saying no. Instead, we're taking good care of ourselves and paying attention to our own needs before we jump to meet somebody else's. Right, moving on to today's WWAWD, or what would Amanda Wagner do? Today's question is from Alyssa, who says, like many people, I've lost my job due to the pandemic. I really loved it, and I'm sad that this chapter is over. I'm feeling pretty down about the whole thing, but I can't be on CERB or EI forever. So I want to search for something, but can't quite seem to amp myself up about the possibility. Do you have suggestions on how to approach the job search so I'm more excited about getting back out there? AW, what do you think? Oh, I love this question because it taps into motivation and, and being excited to do something. But one of Liz and my favorite areas to discuss is this idea of job hunting or finding a new career path. We are both the person that others come to when it's time to apply for a job or create a new resume. Uh, Alyssa, in this case, before you jump to job boards, which I find can be incredibly overwhelming and just really get you in a slog of looking at posting after posting, instead of doing that, pull out for a second and be a little bit more telescopic about it. I have an exercise that I use with my entrepreneur strategy clients called the three A's. And I talk about ability, what can you do, artistry, what do you love to do, and affluence what will make you money. So if you do not intend to start your own business, maybe worry less about the affluence piece right now, but start writing down everything you love to do. Start with your last job. 
you said that you loved your last job and you're sad that it's over. What were your favorite parts? Was it connecting with specific people? Was it accomplishing specific tasks or being super organized? Was it working with others? Start looking for trends in what you really like to do and then start thinking about what you can do. What you wanna find is that overlap. And again, this just starts with a blank sheet of paper. Just start writing down, here's everything I loved about this last job. Here's everything I can do. And see, where are they overlapping in that Venn diagram so that you can see, this is where I really need to start looking for jobs. Hopefully that narrows your search a little bit and lets you step back from, oh, there's 124 pages of job postings to go through. My other piece of advice is once you've done those things, if you kind of know the industry that you wanna be in, look for companies or organizations that you love and admire. I have been working with a few teams on hiring new people and I am a big advocate for hiring for personality and training for skills. Because to me, you can train for skills, but you cannot teach give a shit. And more than anything, employers right now are looking for people who give a shit. So I think it is worthwhile to look at some of the places that you dream of working. And maybe the job posting isn't exactly what you do. Apply for it. Find the hiring manager. At, with one team I'm working with, we just hired somebody brand new that we didn't have a job posting for. But we looked at her skills, we looked at what she could contribute to the organization, and they created a job for her because we didn't want to miss out on the opportunity. I think that might be the anomaly, but it is not out of the question. And as somebody who is so, so focused on working with great teams and believing that happy people do great work, find companies and roles that really light your fire. And that passion, that excitement, and that motivation for that job will come through in an interview, even if it is not the direct fit on paper. Final thought here is that when I got laid off from my job just over three years ago, I applied for a couple jobs immediately. Within three days of being let go, I was pulling out my resume and sending it wherever I could. And I was applying for jobs that I didn't really want and I didn't even get a call back for. So not only did it feel awful to be applying for jobs that kind of sort of fit and yeah, I could do, but didn't really want to do. It kicked me down further when I didn't get a call for them. It was like they could tell that this wasn't the right job for me or it wasn't a good fit. So allow yourself some space and time to play with the big picture. What do I want to do? Where do I want to be in my life? And avoid the specific job postings for a while and make yourself somebody that teams want to fall in love with. Make yourself this wonderful candidate that a company could not resist hiring you and finding a place for you. I hope this is helpful, Alyssa. I know this is something that a lot of people are going through. So please, I encourage you, start looking at companies that you love, organizations that you love, things you want to do and can do and can make you money, and you will certainly find your way back on track. Thank you so much for your question, Alyssa. Good luck with the job search. We are 
sad that you've lost your job due to the pandemic, but we are excited for you to find what that next thing is that gets you really excited. So thank you so much for submitting your question. And please, please send us your questions. You can send them via DM on Instagram at the Amanda Wagner or visit theamandawagner.com and send one via email on our website. We love receiving these questions from you and it is just a dang delight to be able to listen to AW and all of her wisdom when she answers them. So please keep sending them our way. On a final note, please join us on the internet and tell us about a moment where you said no or not yet. You were not a complete people pleaser and you survived. Help us gather more evidence so that we can fight back against having to please everyone except ourselves. And let's just spread the word that we're allowed to say no and nobody is going to die. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. And because we live by don't ask, don't get, we are asking you to follow along with us on social media, sign up for the newsletter sent once a month at theamandawagner.com and share this episode with a friend. If you love the podcast, please leave us a five-star rating and review. We would love to hear what you think and are always looking for ideas of new episodes and things you want to hear. We will be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. Until then, we will see you on the internet.